This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, November 28th, 2022, on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. Ahead this hour, Twitter has never exactly followed a uniform structure, but things have been even more chaotic the past couple of weeks. Matthew asked some well-known Arkansas Twitter users how the changes have affected their messaging or might in the future. Before that... An assisted living facility built several decades ago for low-income seniors continues to operate in Bentonville. Called the Gardens at Osage Terrace, it's also among the first and few nonprofit assisted living facilities for elders in Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. The Gardens at Osage Terrace in Bentonville is quiet this morning after breakfast, a good time to get a quick tour of the assisted living facility. Susie Kelly, administrative assistant, takes us through the front lobby, decorated for Thanksgiving, past the pretty courtyard, into the north wing. But this is like their mailboxes. It matches the room number. That's the activity room, and that's the activity director, (laughs) Betty. This is our little bistro. We keep them coffee here all the time. And then twice a day they put snacks out here. And of course that's the main dining room. It looks like they're getting ready to do an activity right now, so. Most residents live in private studio apartments here, which have kitchenettes, living rooms, bedrooms, and bathrooms. Housekeeping cleans and does laundry once a week. Kim Goins is administrator of the gardens at Osage Terrace. I've been here 20 plus years. Um, I came with the building. This model, state-licensed, nonprofit assisted living facility accommodates private pay residents, but 85% are low-income seniors. Our capacity is, we have 45 rooms. We can hold up to 51, per se, couples, um, partners, however that works out. Um, We provide services to a group of people that really never had services until this building was built and was the first in the state of Arkansas that accepted Medicaid. And um, it was a big deal. The governor was here, everybody came out, and this was a project they wanted to see work, built for people to be able to come to assisted living that didn't have money. Medicaid is a federal entitlement program for persons with limited financial means run by states. Medicare, available to all seniors who enroll, doesn't cover any type of long-term care, although Medicare Part A will pay for short-term stays in a Medicare-certified skilled nursing facility. So, Kim Gowen says when the nonprofit gardens at Osage Terrace first opened, it created a stir. Arkansas built the gardens and they came. It was kind of like the, the movie. When they built the ball field, people came. We queried the Arkansas Department of Human Services about the number of nonprofit senior assisted living facilities in Arkansas, but spokesperson Gavin Lesnick says DHS has only started to track those numbers, apparently because so few operate. He did say that 63 assisted living facilities in Arkansas have Medicaid waivers. More than 230 skilled nursing facilities across the state also accept Medicaid for those who are bedridden, have serious medical conditions, or are terminally ill. A long-term facility search in Arkansas yields nearly 500 sites ranging from independent senior complexes to nursing homes, as well as places for Arkansans with various disabilities. The gardens at Osage Terrace provide accommodations for both healthy seniors and those who may be frail, says Kim Goins. All of our services are bundled. Whether you come to us private pay and can private pay for two or three months and then become Medicaid, and we help you through that process. Um, So nobody knows who's private pay and who's Medicaid in this building. There's no need for them to. The office people possibly, but no, basically nobody knows. A dozen staff work here, including a nurse, certified nursing assistants, personal caregivers, cooks, and housekeepers. We provide three meals a day, snacks, assistance with any of the activities of daily living they need from making their bed to toileting them. Um, We provide activities. Um, We have on-site doctors that come and we have a medical director here. We have lab that comes on site. So our whole mission was to create a community within a community. 
so they don't have to leave because right now the age of the people here their children are working until they're 70 75 years old they can't drop and run and get mom and take them to the doctor for lab work or for whatever may, may need to happen. So we're just here to be their extended family. The base fee for private pay assisted living in Arkansas averages around $3,800. The cost to reside at Gardens at Osage Terrace? Right now, if you're Medicaid, it's $764 a month for room and board. And services start at $3,000, and that is private pay. Um, and that would depend on how much care you needed, okay? Um, Medicaid determines the, what you can pay. If you can pay zero, that's okay. Medicaid will reimburse me. Um, if you can pay $10, then Medicaid reimburses the rest. Medicaid covers skilled nursing home care for people with low income and assets, but some states, including Arkansas, have waiver programs that provide Medicaid coverage for assisted living to eligible applicants who must prove having monthly income not exceeding 300 percent of Social Security income. According to state data, that equals $2,500 for an individual, $5,000 for a couple. Residents pay for their own medications and personal items. Single applicants are permitted $2,000 in assets, married couples $3,000, including cash, bank accounts, and mutual funds, which can be counted and used to pay for long-term care. More exemptions exist, but are too complex to list in this report. The thing that we offer that most of them don't is you can live here and be private pay, and when you run out of money, I'm not going to kick you to the curb because that's what we are seeing. We are getting people that are saying, mom only has three months worth of money left to be private pay, and they're already telling us to move. So that's where hopefully we can help. We pretty much stay at capacity. Um, and no, there's no set time on how long it'll be when you're on our waiting list. It can be from three months to two years because that's God's design, not mine. Applicant residents are screened for entry. If you have no funds that you apply for Medicaid, we give you the application. We will walk you through that process because it's a lot of red tape. Persons over the Medicaid income limit can become eligible by depositing their excess monthly income into qualified income trusts managed by a trustee, which can be used for medical and care expenses of the Medicaid beneficiary. Both Benton County and Washington counties also count around a dozen for-profit assisted living centers. The Gardens is the only assisted living that we run, but then we have several senior communities and then just um, multi-family residential communities as well. Lydia Ulrich is Development Specialist for Community Development Corporation, headquartered in Bentonville, established in 1991. CDC has since expanded, serving low-income residential needs across Benton, Washington, and Madison counties. Creating and preserving affordable housing for um, people across Northwest Arkansas, especially as everyone knows, housing is becoming a big problem. So um, just kind of trying to pull things together to make sure that there's still some affordable housing left for people. CDC operates under the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development in the Arkansas Department of Human Services. Ulrich says the gardens at Osage Terrace set a unique standard in senior residential care, but does require continual financial support. Most of our programs run through some kind of like HUD or um, state funding, so a mix of federal and state. Um, we are also lucky enough to get some like local philanthropy dollars as well. Um, and then our organization itself is basically just sustaining just enough off of property management fees to keep going. The Arkansas Department of Human Services Office of Long-Term Care monitors and annually inspects state-licensed residential care facilities. Kim Gowen says if the time comes for a resident to move from the gardens into skilled nursing care, she and staff are on hand to assist with such transitions. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. This is Ozarks at Large. The vast majority of Americans don't use Twitter, but thanks to its popularity among politicians and the media, the social media platform is talked about a lot. In April of 2022, billionaire Elon Musk made an offer to buy Twitter. And after months of back and forth, the $44 billion purchase was complete on October 27th. Since then, 
Musk has laid off a significant amount of the company's staff, said that government officials and news outlets would be required to pay a monthly fee to keep their blue checkmark verification, and allowed former President Donald Trump back on the platform. On November 17th, Musk offered an ultimatum to the remaining employees, pledge to work longer hours and be extremely hardcore or resign with three months severance. When the deadline came the next evening, hundreds of employees took the latter. The end seemed inevitable that evening and certainly left me wondering how my work would look different if Twitter crumbled into an unusable service. I wasn't the only one wondering about this on Arkansas Twitter. Matt Campbell, better known as at Blue Hog Report on Twitter, was a bit surprised by the speed of the crumbling. I I didn't think it would sort of go so poorly so quickly. I like everything that's happened is kind of I think the the sort of crumbling path I expected it to go down, but I thought we were looking at more of like you know a six month timeline and not you know, two or three weeks, and all of a sudden there's nobody working there and, you know, things aren't working. Blue Hog Report is an independent blog run by Campbell, who recently led the reporting on the relationship between Little Rock Mayor Frank Scott Jr. and his former chief of staff, which led to the eventual cancellation of LitFest just days before it was supposed to occur. Campbell says talking about it on Twitter helped him report it more than anything. It also... It seemed to to drive a lot more information coming back to me from people that you know I hadn't talked to before, but had seen some of these stories and you know had an adi- had additional context or insight that they could offer. I've never really seen that before with a story, especially one that sort of developed so quickly, you know, in real time. It seemed like any time I post anything about it, whether it was a link to a story I'd done or just a tweet about it, that was really getting you know, not just likes or or retweets, but actual you know, DMs and uh, replies and stuff. That was interesting. Jenny Diaz is the executive director of At 4AR People, a grassroots organization that focuses on legislative accountability. She says Twitter is the heartbeat of how her organization communicates, especially during legislative sessions and committee meetings. You know, regular people who have jobs, they can't drive to the Capitol and sit in on all these committee meetings and keep up with all these bills that get filed. But we do that. And one way that really the, the only way that we're able to communicate that in real time for people to be able to stay engaged in that process as it's happening in real time is through Twitter. When were you first concerned about how quickly Twitter would, would crash um, upon Elon's uh, purchase of the platform? Well, I, I wasn't necessarily concerned for a crash um, when when Musk first kind of invaded, uh, brought the sink in, if you will. You know, I think like other people who have used the platform for public service functions, I think we, we all were concerned about misinformation and what would happen if, you know, some of these policies were loosened and certain you know, suspended accounts were reinstated. So there was there was concern on that end, but I don't I had not considered the platform just going completely dark. And so I think that that was what a lot of people felt um, when we you know heard anecdotal reports of staff being laid off and the masses and you know people's badges not working and not being able to get in and the whole communications department being down and um, all of these different factors. And it was kind of like, okay, nobody really knows what's going to happen. And there was, generally speaking, widespread panic and fear that the site would just crumble. And, you know, that got us thinking about some alternatives and what we would do. And, you know, I, (laughs) I, I don't know what we'll do. Honestly, I, I hope it, I hope they can, can write the ship. One of the things that I find personally enjoyable about Twitter is I'm able to uh, feed the multifaceted levels of my life that, like, yes, I'm very invested in Arkansas politics and national politics, but I'm also a huge 
Boston Celtics fan, and it's a way for me to kind of keep up with uh, sports, or it's a way for me to keep up with hobbies that I have that I don't necessarily need to tweet incessantly about, but I can find other people who do. Uh, do you find that you will miss that side of things when you think about, you know, outside of your professional life, your personal life? Will you will you miss elements of what you found on Twitter that you've had a hard time replicating in other spaces? Absolutely. Outside of the the hashtag ARPX, which is what we use for you know politics in the state here, I am a big fan of hashtag WPS, Lou Pigsui. So I'm Andrew Hutchinson, and I'm the managing editor at bestofarkansasports.com. At NWA Hutch may not put hashtag WPS in every one of his tweets, but he's a must-follow for Razorback sports fans on the app. During his time in journalism school at the U of A, a professor required students to create a professional Twitter account to do reporting for that class. So I created a, a new account, a professional account, did the project. I was like, you know what, let's just keep this account and uh, use it for my you know, professional duties. And that was, I think, September of 2013. So it's been a little over nine years that I've had the current account that I have and uh, been, been covering the Razorbacks with it ever since. I wonder if uh, if your career would look like it does without your presence on Twitter. That's a great question and something I kind of found myself pondering last night as I was seeing all the news about Twitter's uh, not-so-great future, it looks like. And I was like, man, I don't know what – I mean, it, I, I don't want to say like I'm I'm famous or anything like that, but I'm kind of a well-known person, and I think that's because I was I've been so active on Twitter. Hutchinson has more than 17,000 followers on the app and has become a trusted source, especially around recruiting in both football and basketball for the Razorbacks. You said in, a, in an email to me, you said, I have no idea how the hell I'd cover recruiting without Twitter. Can you talk more about what you mean by that? It's helped the recruiting industry and the fact that, you know, all these recruits, they'll post when they get offered by Arkansas or Alabama or something like that. And you know, they, they put it out there for everybody to see. And so you're able to keep track of this. You're able to keep track of, you know, which coaches are following which recruits. The coaches aren't publicly, you know, communicating with these recruits. But you can look at who, who say, Sam Pittman is following on Twitter. And you go, okay, well, if he's following that recruit, then Arkansas must be interested in them. And, you know, kind of following the breadcrumbs. What's best case scenario for you when we look at the inevitable demise of Twitter. Best case, I think, is just... Matt Campbell of Blue Hog Report again here. Yeah, assuming that Twitter goes completely kaput, then I guess, you know, I think best case scenario is we all kind of figure out what which one we're going to go to and migrate that way, even if it's, you know, narrow it down to just a couple and sort of see what, what everybody prefers. I guess you just use the other outlets. You know, I might start posting things on Instagram, even though I hate it. <laughs> I, you'll use whatever tools you have to get it out there, I suppose. What do you hope happens with Twitter? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I really don't. I, I've I've been kind of keeping up with it. Like, and obviously, I'm trying to still work and do my normal stuff while also keeping a, keeping a little bit of an eye on it. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it just kind of it dies a slow death. Jenny, if you had a chance to sit down with Elon Musk and have a conversation with him to convince him to. Make a few adjustments. <laughs> what would you What would you say to him? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I have never. I haven't thought of that. Um, I think I would just try to appeal to whatever sense of pragmatism he may have. And it, this this sounds very cheesy, but the adage of you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think that a system like Twitter, it it can't be a free for all. Like we have guardrails in place for a reason. We have guardrails on our First Amendment rights to free speech for a reason. It does not mean you can say and do anything that you want. There are restrictions and they're there for a reason. And it's to protect vulnerable communities and it's to protect systems and institutions like our functioning democracy. Um, it's there for a reason. And it's not, <laughs> it's, I almost want to talk to him like I would talk to my children, my elementary age children. It's like, okay, <laughs> we, we have to be reasonable. We have to be practical here doesn't just mean we can do whatever we want, you know, and, and sometimes I feel like he, he's being immature with 
his decision making and wants to kind of burn it all down and hopefully he's able to to reel that back in. So I would just I would encourage some some deep breathing <laughs> and some, you know, stewing with our feelings and we can have feelings and we can have reactions, but that doesn't mean we do what our, our bodies and our minds say we want to do all the time. We have to, we have to check, we have to check those a lot of times and uh, be sensible. So I don't know if he, if he would have ears to hear that, but that's probably the approach I would take. <laughs> For Ozarks at Large, I'm at Matthew Armour. KUAF is supported by Butterfield Trail Village, Northwest Arkansas Retirement Community, catering to active lifestyles and resident well-being. Offering a variety of activities, living options, plus outdoor spaces, including access to city trails. ButterfieldTrailVillage.org for more information. Ahead on our show, Thanksgiving is now just those last leftovers in the fridge. The rest of the holiday season is here, and the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas's Christmas concerts are approaching. It's all about that feeling that we got when we were kids, right? We mm-hmm. were around a tree, uh, depending, on, of course, on our tradition traditions. But I certainly grew up around a tree, getting up that morning, being all excited, and uh, opening up gifts one after the next. And we feel like that's what's happening in the hall. All, all the, our, our incredible audience comes in. Uh, we're together in the same space, and we just unwrap a Sona Christmas previewed in about 12 minutes. NCAA tournament play is over for Arkansas soccer, but just about to begin for the Razorback volleyball team. The soccer team lost in the national quarterfinals Saturday evening, losing to top-ranked Florida State 1-0 in Tallahassee. It was the second straight year the Razorbacks made it to the Elite Eight. Arkansas volleyball will be in the NCAA tournament for the first time in nine years later this week. The Razorbacks will be a sixth seed and face Utah State, Friday night in Eugene, Oregon. The winner of that match will meet the winner of Friday's Oregon-Loyola-Marymount game in the second round Sunday. They are not interested in my coming in and giving them my truth. They are only interested in their version or their truth. This is Ozarks at Large. It's Monday. It's time to go into some archives from the Dave and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral visual history like that archive to help us as a guide is Randy Dixon. With the Hello, Prime Kyle. Center. How Hello, are Randy. you this I'm Monday? Fine. We recognize We've been doing this for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. So if, if you haven't been listening, uh, that was Susan McDougall, who was a key figure in the 90s uh, in the Whitewater investigation, which was, if you don't know, it involved the first couple, then first couple, uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton, and their friends, Jim and Susan McDougal. Uh, they were land developers, uh, real estate financiers, and they had a uh, residential land development in White County that they called Whitewater. Mm-hmm. It went bust, mm-hmm. um, which... Normally wouldn't be a big deal. I mean, that happens, and people lost money, including the Clintons. But there were questions about uh, shady loans um, and possible fraud. So a special prosecutor was appointed, um, first Robert Fisk, and then they brought in Kenneth Starr, who who ended up being the – um, main investigator and his his staff, and they spent months and millions, and um, well, uh, the result was uh, several of the Clintons' friends and associates uh, were charged, convicted, served time. The Clintons were cleared, but Jim and Susan McDougal, if people were talking about now. Um, Jim McDougal was convicted of 19 counts of fraud, uh, convicted, and then decided he would cooperate with the uh, independent counsel, go before the grand jury. Um, Still went for, to prison, For though. a reduced sentence, right. yes, and he died in prison. Now, Susan, on the other hand, uh, decided she was not going to cooperate. As she put it, they wanted her to lie about the Clintons. And so she was found in contempt of court and spent 21 months in jail without ever being 
I guess, convicted of a crime. Other than contempt. Right. Yeah. Right. And so she was held in contempt. Anyway, she was finally freed um, for medical reasons. So that brings us <laughs> That's where up we to are. date. To right now. To this serialization yes. of Whitewater, yes. I guess you would say. Um, so now here we are, Susan out of her shackles, out of her orange jumpsuit. She's free, but she goes from one courthouse in Arkansas to another courthouse in California. The reason for that is uh, before all this Whitewater happened, she and Jim split up. And mm-hmm. while they were separated before their divorce, she moved out to California. And she was working for the wife of Zubin Mehta. The classical artist, classical music artist. Right, right. Yeah. The, the conductor. Right. And his wife uh, is former actress Nancy Kovac. And Susan was her personal assistant. Well... Uh, Nancy Kovac accused Susan of embezzling $50,000. So she gets out of jail and stands trial for embezzlement in California. So why don't we uh, go into the KATV archives Mm -hmm. and we'll listen in on the verdict. We, the jury, in the above entitled actions, find the defendant, Susan McDougall, not guilty of the crime of grand theft of personal property. All right, so not guilty. Not guilty. And by the way, uh, Susan McDougal sued uh, Nancy Kovac for malicious prosecution, and it was settled out of court. We don't know what the terms Mm. were. But uh, now Susan is free and clear, and she emerged from yet another courthouse, and uh, this is what she had to say to the cameras, and she's still talking about Kenneth Starr. I know that they wanted to exert pressure. They have done it for the last years of my life has been about Bill Clinton. Everything that's happened to me has been so that I would tell some story that was not the truth about Bill or Hillary Clinton. Of course, Kenneth Starr was the special prosecutor who was leading the ever-growing and widening Whitewater investigation. And boy, did it widen. And that's what caused a lot of criticism about him, that and some of his tactics— uh, but I believe that's kind of what special prosecutors do, do. That's what we'll talk about in another show. Okay. Um, so let's talk about maybe Jim and Susan McDougal as, as a couple. Because we've kind of talked about them separately. Yes. So just to give you a little background on who they were and how they met, Jim McDougal, who we talked about had a long history in politics. He worked for William Fulbright, John McClellan, uh, Bill Clinton when he was governor, even ran for office a couple of times. Ran against John Paul Hammerschmidt here in the 3rd District. That's right. It lost. Um, but he, in the mid-70s, was a political science professor at Washita Baptist University in Arkadelphia, as many, many mm-hmm. Uh, political figures have gone there. That that may be a, a segment in the future of who right. all has come out of there. You'd love to talk to Rex Nelson about that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but Susan was a student of his. Of Jim McDougal. Yes. Okay. And um, when she graduated, they, they got married, mm-hmm. and they became partners in a real estate business. So, of course, it was that real estate business that – really started this whole fiasco in in the first place. That was the root of the problem. So uh, during the ordeal, um, Susan was asked in one of her many network interviews uh, about her last conversation with her ex-husband and what, I guess, his advice was uh, for her in dealing with the prosecutor and her future. His last words to me. The last words that he said to me were, I don't think I want to hear from you again until you're ready to come in and talk to the independent counsel. Now, as we've heard the last couple of weeks, Joan Early, who was a colleague of yours at KATV, was the last person to interview Jim McDougall. That's right. In prison. prison. We went down and uh, talked to him. So he's serving his time. Susan is still in jail for contempt of court. 
And so um, Sue, uh, Joan, of course, asked Jim if, if he had a message uh, for Susan. I just wanted to be happy and I wanted to be out of jail. And uh, if it was in my power to uh, even to take the punishment to get her out, I'd do it. And I have only for the deepest affection for her. And, of course, you talked to Susan McDougall for uh, our segment last week. That's right. And um, she's now uh, the director of pastoral care and is a grief counselor at uh, UA Medical Center in Little Rock. So uh, when I talked to her, um, I had asked her if she regretted never talking to Jim again. Such a regret. Oh, my gosh, such a regret. I had no idea that I would ever see him again or talk with him again. As much as people have heard about Jim McDougall and read about him, I've never known anyone who cares as much about people. He he would do anything for anybody. Mm-hmm. He was he really taught everyone around him what it was to be generous and kind. He was not a bad guy. He didn't uh, weather the storm very well. It cracked him. It really did. It, it cracked him mentally and physically. Hmm. That's uh, that's tough. Yeah, very tough. So um, that brings us up to date with the McDougals right. and pretty much the Clintons, right? Uh, but not what I guess you would call the most central figure. Oh, in Whitewater, and who would that be? Kenneth Starr. Absolutely special prosecutor who brought all of this, widened the net, mm-hmm. uh, affected all of these ancillary oh, people. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Um, because it went, and we'll get into this. Well, let's do this next week. Let's, okay. Let's do Kenneth Starr, but we can talk about maybe some of his tactics and um, how effective maybe they were. And... He ended up having some troubles of his own. Yes, he did. Yes, he uh, did. Long after Whitewater. So why don't we profile Kenneth Starr next week? And didn't you bring us a, a, a bit of a preview? Yeah, let's um, let's go ahead and let Susan McDougall have kind of the final word here. This was one of the days. This was in the middle of everything, and. She, she would always come out of the courtroom, and people were yelling questions at her. And this was on a particularly feisty day, I think. But this is what Susan had to say. When people say to me, you know, are you scared of Ken Starr? I always think he better be scared of me. All right, we'll turn uh, the spotlight on Kenneth Starr for next week's Prior Center Profile. Absolutely. Randy Dixon's with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Just put Pryor Center into a search engine. You'll find out so much Arkansas history. Randy, thank you. See ya. Over the last year, I have discovered the work that helps me to do something that I've been dreaming about doing in my professional career for quite some time. And that is breaking down the walls of the ivory tower and revealing what really goes on in the minds and thinkings of academics, in their research labs, in the different disciplines, and in the classrooms. It sounds a little bit like Real Housewife meets Academia, But that is what KUAF has helped me to accomplish with my podcast, Undiscipline. I am Karee Banton, the host of Undiscipline. I love being a part of KUAF because I can count on hearing quality news from diverse populations from around the world. In-depth and incisive analysis of major stories and headlines. And I get to learn about and from people like myself, academics, artists, legal experts, economists, storytellers, and other people doing cutting-edge work. By contributing to KUAF, it helps people like me to bring you the kinds of quality content you hear on Undiscipline. Thank you, KUAF listeners. What would I do without your support? This is Ozarks at Large. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is Paul Haas, who is the conductor musical director of the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, or SONA. Happy Holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays to you too, Kyle. Uh, Sona has always embraced the holiday season. This year's no different. It isn't. You know, ever since the beginning, we wanted to create a tradition that would last through the years. And look, here we are, uh, some eleven or twelve years later, and still going strong. It's it's a happy time. It is a happy time. Uh, 
a very similar Christmas gives you us exactly what it promises. Well, yeah, it's it's all about that feeling that we got when we were kids, right? We mm-hmm. were around a tree, uh, depending on, of course, on our tradition traditions. But I certainly grew up around a tree, getting up that morning, being all excited, and uh, opening up gifts one after the next, and. We feel like that's what's happening in the hall. All, all the, our, our incredible audience comes in. Uh, we're together in the same space, and we just unwrap musical gifts uh, one after the next, and get more and more joyful as 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 the concert progresses. It's it's it really is one of my favorite concerts of the year. There there's always so many choices of music that you can play. How do you determine from year to year? I just throw darts. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you are right. Uh, there, there's plenty of music to choose from, but the idea is to have enough of, you know, the chestnuts that everybody wants, including chestnuts, of course. Right. Uh, but then to bring in different stuff, unique stuff, thing, uh, music that people wouldn't necessarily hear unless they came to the concert. So you have a good, a good mix of. Uh, sacred, secular, classical, modern—just kind of something for everyone. And it's—it's—it's just—it's—it's—it's guaranteed to be a fun, guaranteed to be a fun time, just because there is something for everyone. I have seen Sona perform uh, "Sleigh Ride." Isn't that Leroy Anderson? It is. And it seems to me that there's there's a, a moment in—and I don't know if you're doing it this year. There's a moment in "Sleigh Ride" where the, somebody in percussion has to be right on. To do something, and that always kind of makes me nervous. Just one time. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there, there, there are plenty of. Uh, I think you're probably thinking of the horse's hoofs. Yes. Followed by the whip. Yes, the whip. Yeah. <laughs> right. That right. kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Followed by the whack of yeah. the whip. Yeah. No, it's 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 a scary. It's not. It's not actually a scary moment, but it probably sounds like that because because it, it it might sound difficult to the audience. <laughs> it's one of those things where you have one job, you know, and everyone. Right. Yeah. Well, and and we do employ real professionals up there. On I know. Stage, I so. know. I know. <laughs> so they do know what they're doing. <laughs> of course. Of course. I I, I just have yeah. some empathy. For well, it. oh, and of course, and then and then there's there's the principal trumpets, uh, big big moment there at the end with the oh, with yeah. with the horses, the horse neighing, the whinny, the yeah. whinnying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's the tenth in the hall. That is the tenth. Two shows that day. Yeah. What's what's that like? Well, it's incredible to have to have two shows because you sell out the first one and have so many people who want the second one that you have to put it on. I mean, it's a great problem to <laughs> it have. Is, right, right, yes. But, you know, as an orchestra, it, you know, we have the dress rehearsal that morning, then we have one show, and then you you have another one. And it's essentially, uh, it's it's a little bit like a, a mind game. You got to psych yourself up that it's not just a normal day. It's It's like, it's... It's the marathon of days. So you got three real full services. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're all seasoned professionals, so yeah, we can course. get through it. But, yeah, there is that mental game to it, of course. And then the next day is right? the snowman. The next day is the snowman. Completely different kind of atmosphere. It's a, it's a family show and tons of fun. And for anyone who doesn't know what the snowman is it is quite possibly the best mo- most poignant amazing film mm-hmm. ever made <laughs> <laughs> check it out on youtube if you haven't anyway this is this is our orchestra playing the live soundtrack to that film and it's 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 a tearjerker uh but it, it's it's it encapsulates joy really it it, it really encapsulates everything about the season and kind of what it means to be a human. It's, it is everything. And you've been doing – Sona and the Walden Arts Center have been presenting The Snowman for several years now. Oh, I mean, it must be five or six by now, it's, or if not more. It's, it's, it's a long-standing tradition again. I like to think of someone who might have seen it for the first time when they were six or seven and now is going back when they're 12 or 13. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it is that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. You. It's not just like a one and done kind of thing. I mean, just like great music, great film gets better with each vi- is with each viewing. And so, uh, this really can be something that you go to every year. And luckily enough, I get to. <laughs> and, I know, <laughs> and I know people who do every year. It's just that kind of moment. So the very sound of Christmas is December tenth, and that's two and seven, 
or two and seven thirty, I should say. Correct. And then on the eleventh is the snowman. That's one showing at two. That's correct. Yes, uh, and it's. I I I I don't want to state the obvious, but you could come to both. Oh, I would assume. Oh yeah, I mean mo- most people do really. But but math will tell you not everybody can. Yeah, no, it's true because two, two and then yeah. one. Yeah, I we we should we should hang out more often. I think I could learn a lot from you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, not to not to wish our lives away or anything like that. But then let's just talk quickly about the January seventh concert, Mother and Child, which will include music from William Grant Still. Yes, uh, the, the uh, of the same title, Mother and Child. Uh, it's interestingly enough, it's one of those pieces of music that everybody should know. Mm. It is so beautiful. I mean, you think of the the great modern American classics. You think of Barber Adagio for strings, really. Uh, and then there are these other pieces. Another one you don't know is uh, probably is uh, Walker, George Walker, lyric for strings. Incredibly beautiful. This this one, Mother and Child, William Grant Still, another. Just just an instant classic, but for some reason it hasn't gotten the light of day. Now it's starting to, and it's amazing to be able to offer it to our audiences. It really is. And that'll be on January 7th. Hopefully at some time we'll have a chance to talk about that more. Also, Lauren Bernstein, Henry Gorecki on that. But let's remind folks once more, the 10th, 2 and 7.30 for A Very Son of Christmas, the 11th at 2 o'clock, The Snowman. Yes, and it really is my favorite concert of the year. Please come. Paul Haas is the music director and conductor for Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas. Walton Art Center's 10 by 10 Art Series presents The Swingles Together for the Holidays Tour, Sunday, December 4th at 4 p.m. A renowned London-based a cappella group, The Swingles will present folk and jazz-inspired original songs, traditional carols, and festive favorites from five decades of holiday releases. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. KUAF is supported by Pinkwinette's Barbecue, located at Mission and Crossover and the historic B&B location in Fayetteville. Pinkwinette's is now taking orders for smoked turkey, ham, cornbread stuffing, and gravy available for pickup December 23rd and 24th. Order deadline is December 17th. Pinkwinette's.com for more. This is Ozarks at Large. Joining Kyle and me in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 is KUAF's underwriting director, Ryan Versi. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? Well, we always know if you're here in the studio with us, it's because you're giving stuff away. I come bearing gifts. All right. So (laughs) tell us what we are giving away today. We have tickets to see Fran Leibowitz at the Walton Arts Center, and that's going to be moderated by our very own Kyle Kellums. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you were saying earlier today that you can't find your questions that you had from when it was supposed to be earlier in the year. Back in February, right? February 4th, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I was all prepped and ready to go. I keep about, this is not an exaggeration, there are about 20 notebooks in my office. It's true. It's true. I've seen them. And and I don't know which one has all those questions, so I'm just going to, you know, start over. That's fine. I'm going to (laughs) watch the whole Netflix series again tonight. Just to remind myself, that maybe reread funny. her book. But um, I'm excited about that. I'm also excited. I get to park in the loading dock tomorrow at Walton Art Center. Hey, that's, that's, that's pretty a awesome. Big, that's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're right. a small town kid, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, so Ryan, who gets to be the lucky person to uh, come hang out with Kyle and Fran? So the lucky winner is Rachel Brauberger from Bentonville. Fantastic. Well, Rachel, we will reach out to you. Um, You will receive an email directly from me uh, shortly. And then from there, I believe their tickets will be at will call. So Rachel gets to pick someone to go. She does indeed. Rachel does indeed get to pick someone to go. Nice. It's a pair of tickets. So, Rachel, you can bring uh, your favorite human. And it it shouldn't be Kyle because he'll already be there. Kyle will already be there. So you have to pick your second Second favorite favorite human. human. Right. Um, I'll be parked in the loading dock. Kyle will be parked in the loading dock. So, yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Ryan. Absolutely. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas Songs.
Barbara Hendricks was born November 20, 1948 in Stevens in Washita County in South Arkansas and went on to become one of the opera world's biggest stars and an internationally recognized humanitarian. The daughter of a Methodist minister, she graduated with honors from Horace Mann High School in Little Rock and earned advanced degrees in mathematics and chemistry before she began studying voice at New York's Juilliard School of Music at the end of the 1960s. interpretations of French and Scandinavian composers over the usual German and Italian fare, the star of Barbara Hendricks rose quickly and internationally in the opera world. The South Arkansas-born soprano won competitions in New York, Switzerland, and France, all prior to her graduation from Juilliard and her Paris recital debut in 1973. Hendricks's debut role was Susanna in The Marriage of Figaro. Her first recording was in 1974 as Clara in Porgy and Bess. While Barbara Hendricks was gaining notice musically, she also gained international attention for her endeavors outside of opera. In 1987, Hendricks was named an Ambassador of Goodwill for Refugees by the United Nations. She played peace concerts in the former Yugoslavia in 1991 and 1993 and spoke at the fifth anniversary of the reunification of Germany in 1995. The Arkansas was also named a Special Advisor on Interculturality by the Director General of UNESCO in 1994. In the mid-1990s, Barbara Hendricks made the leap from singing opera to singing jazz. Typically, Hendricks went big. She debuted at the Montreux Jazz Festival in Canada in 1994 and has continued to perform at similar jazz festivals. In an even bigger leap, she personalized her humanitarian work by founding the Barbara Hendricks Foundation for Peace and Reconciliation in 1998. This was the culmination of years of work in war-torn areas around the globe and working with refugees. In 2001, Hendricks performed at the Nobel Peace Prize concert in Oslo, Norway. In 2006, she started her own record label. A resident of Europe since the 1970s, and a Swedish citizen, singer and international humanitarian Barbara Hendricks of Washtenaw County, Arkansas, could more accurately be called a citizen of the world. Here in its entirety is Arkansas your Barbara Hendricks of Stevens in Washtenaw County with La Fia de Cadiz, a Spanish-style bolero by French composer Leo Dali with lyrics by Alfred de Mise. Oh, oh, oh. 
Sawyer Barbara Hendricks of Stevens in Washtenaw County with Lafia de Cadix. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Arkansas is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Producer is Keith Merks. Arkansas since 1998. Tomorrow on Ozark, State Senator Joyce Elliott's time in the Arkansas legislature is almost over, but she says she's staying engaged. So much of the work that we did was getting to those people who are registered but not voting, and why are they not voting? And people don't tend not to understand this. They don't know how to vote, and that's intimidating. Joyce Elliott discusses getting more people to vote and much more on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon, 7 p.m., and on the Ozarks at Large podcast. The Northwest Arkansas Council will host a virtual discussion about career and workforce development in the region Thursday morning at 9. Panelists include the Dean of Workforce and Economic Development at Northwest Arkansas Community College, the Senior Marketing Director at the University of Arkansas Global Campus, and the Workforce Development Director at the Northwest Arkansas Council. The one-hour discussion is free but does require registration. You can take care of that. At Eventbrite, just look for Northwest Arkansas Council Events. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Van Buren. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Thank you to our underwriting director, Ryan Versey, for being part of the show today. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. I am so excited, Matthew, because I understand that during the Thanksgiving break, you watched Casablanca for the first time. <laughs> I did, yes. Uh, it, it came to Kyle's attention recently that there are a lot of Movies that humans ought to watch that I hadn't watched, and Casablanca was on that list. Um, I got to tell you, Kyle, I thought I knew a lot about World War II, and I needed to know a little bit more well, going into that. <laughs> and as I told you, um, Letters of Transit, which is a big part of the— Yeah, it's kind of the central right, element of the show. Didn't really exist. Right. But I— my eyes, I think, lit up when you told me that you had watched Casablanca because I can watch. I watch that movie at least twice a year. Well, I've watched it once this year, so and it's November, so we're probably not going to get another watch out of it. But right. I did you enjoy liked it. it. I did enjoy it. Yeah. I told you. I said I was worried that I wouldn't know Humphrey Bogart when I saw him. <laughs> I did. All right. So next up, I want to maybe in January to watch Maltese Falcon. Okay. Which is a completely different sort of thing, but. Yeah. I probably got to do some homework before I watch that. Too. Yeah, well, we'll talk Dashiell Hammett. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us.